Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. And welcome to Funk Radio. You are the listeners. Yes, we are the hosts. So, I don't entirely remember how this topic came up. I'm sure it came up in a prior episode, since they all do. Not necessarily with this one, I don't think, because um, I think we were just recently talking about, like, oh, we should re-watch Samurai Shampoo. And yeah, then... we were just talking about, yeah, you're right, you're right. Basically, yeah, as we were talking uh, amongst ourselves, Peter, about different shows that we wanted to binge, uh, we both somehow mentioned Samurai Shampoo. I don't know, I think it was one that, like, I had watched sort of, kind of recently, like, maybe like a year ago, and you said you hadn't watched it since we first watched it in, like, college, I think it was, right? I'm trying to remember when I first watched it, because it's possible, because actually I was thinking about that, I think, like, earlier today. I'm, like, 90% sure that our friend Dan showed it to us, but I don't remember if it was in college or if it was that yeah. summer after college when we hung out pretty much daily. Well, so I think I remember us starting to watch it then, but I don't remember watching the full thing until later. Yeah, but I, I don't could either. Be remembering that wrong. I, I think you're right. I think we started watching it and then got derailed somehow from it or started watching something else or Danny got bored. I don't know. Yeah. And then you're right. We didn't finish it. And then we some, we finished it on our own years, like a year or two after that. Yeah, I watched it, I don't know, maybe like five years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. But then after this recent discussion, uh, I actually went and watched it again. Maybe it's only like two weeks ago now, maybe. Yeah, same here. Um, so for those of you that don't know listeners, the the show we're talking about, Samurai Champloo, is a Japanese anime. Um, now, I know, Peter, you're not as big of an anime dork as I am. Um, but I know that you said this is probably like one of your favorite animes. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I I, I feel like that's an area that I should put more effort into like watching more of it mm-hmm. um but like in reality i've only maybe seen a handful but um this is one that i like quite a lot yeah yeah i don't know when i like fell into anime i mean i i mean if you'd count like pokemon and dragon ball z i watched it like back in you know when i was a kid i vaguely vaguely remember this show existing because the show came out in like 2002 i can't believe i didn't write that down hold on i think it was 04 maybe 2004 so yeah, this this was around like when we were in high school, basically. So I, I kind of remember its existence, and I remember kids talking about it, but I just, I don't know, I never got into it at the time that it was airing. I guess for a bit of context, and, and I know we have talked about this on the show before, this um, aired in the U.S. on a channel called Toonami. Oh, yeah. They got, I guess, the, the U.S. distribution rights of it. So for those of you that don't know, Toonami was a sort of late-night anime focused um channel that was i think it was part of adult swim yeah i'm trying to remember if it pre i think it predated adult swim i think you're right i think i think it got absorbed into adult swim i think it was originally on like cartoon network or something wasn't it yeah i was gonna say i think it was the nighttime programming of cartoon network yeah it was kind of separate so yeah it was like it was like the late night sort of more adult focused um portion of Cartoon Network uh, that popped up. I think it started in like, gosh, like 2001 or two. Uh, oh, it says ni- wow, 1997. Oh wow! And basically, yeah, it was it was more adult focused, and it aired a lot of anime. Um, in fact, that's Toonami is where Dragon Ball Z got its like first sort of 
airing, I guess, that made it insanely popular with kids in the in the late '90s. Um, it's where Samurai Champloo, Cowboy Bebop, and those uh, anime first kind of got their American debut, and it kind of introduced a lot of '90 kids '90s kids to that world of anime. Um, I suppose we should probably explain to the listeners why this is relevant to us. A music podcast. It's not. <laughs> I just like talking about it. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically the I know way, we're getting to it. Yeah. Basically, the way that this is semi-relevant to music is that the music in this show is just amazing. And it has a very unique style that sort of infuses like jazz, blues, and hip-hop music into basically a... Edo period samurai setting, which the juxtaposition of that is so interesting that it makes the show like oddly appealing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think the the mix of like, you know, like historical Japanese culture with like more modern, like a hip hop twist to it almost. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember, there's a line in one of the episodes, I don't remember what it was, but they were basically saying like, you know, breaking the fourth wall almost and saying like this show is somewhere in between like fact and fiction. Yeah. Um, So it seems like it takes some, like they seem to try to weave in some like factual stuff from that period. But then also a lot of it is like quite obviously not that because they work in like modern, like hip hop tropes. Yeah, Uh, exactly. I, I think it, but it does it with like a good sense of humor too. Exactly. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously. Exactly. We're, we've been beating around the bush enough. We should probably explain what the, the sort of main plot of Samurai Champloo is. Um, like I said before, it's a Japanese anime that takes place in the Edo period of Japan, which was roughly between 1603 and 1868. Not to get too much into Japanese history, but basically this was an era where Japan was under, under rule of what was called the Shogunate. For lack of a better term, it was like the Knights round table except with samurai dudes Hmm. it's 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 more complex than that but japan at that period had different lords that um basically were kind of like the governors of different towns and and parts of japan and those uh rich lords because basically you know they were under threat of being killed or assassinated either by other lords or just by uprisings of their people because they treated them like crap, would often hire samurai as basically bodyguards to protect them. It kind of was like the sort of ending gasp of the samurai era because they, the, these warriors that initially trained, you know, in these arts either uh, to basically be, you know, military resources or just basically to protect, you know, themselves and their villages, basically be, were warped into becoming hired muscle for you know, rich dudes. Yeah. And I seem to remember in the show a couple of times they make references to like, we're in a peaceful period now. Like there's no reason for samurai to exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know the, 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 the Jeep, the deep Japanese, uh, the history behind it, but essentially the Edo area was an, uh, a period of sort of unification of the country under the shogunate. So because there was no longer warring clans and warring, you know, groups of people fighting each other for power, um, it was supposedly, you know, an era where, okay, you know, we don't need, you know, these 
warriors anymore. Everything's at peace. Everything's being, you know, nicely controlled by the, the central government right. of the shogunate. Uh, the plot, I guess, of the show is, is that there's this young girl named Fu uh, who is working at a waitress in a tea shop and she's been being abused by a band of samurai who, at this point, like I said, are the samurai are basically just hired muscle. In this, uh, in this outside of the show, she's saved by this mysterious guy named Mugen, um, as well as a young ronin that comes into the shop named Jean. The pair end up fighting in the sh- in in Fu's tea shop, completely destroy it. Because the shop burned down, they accidentally kill uh, the son of a magistrate who, like I said, is like the lords of the era. Uh, and so the mat for the crime of killing the magistrate's son, they're captured and basically set to be executed. Um, but they end up, with the help of Fu, escaping their execution. So in return, she basically says, "Okay, because I basically saved your lives." You have to be my bodyguards and escort me to help me find quote the samurai who smells of sunflowers, and it's got it just got a really tight story and the story is the journey of these three people throughout Japan, uh, coming across different villages, crazy shit happens, but then there's an overarching plot that connects everything that they're doing, which is Fu's uh, journey to find this mysterious samurai. So, the show was developed by a production studio in Japan called Manglobe. It had a production team uh, that was led by director Shinichiro Watanabe. The, the, um, the title of the show, Samurai Champloo. I never actually knew what the hell Champloo meant. I assumed it was just some Japanese word. But I found out, in doing research for this episode, that it comes from the Okinawan word Chanperu, which is actually a like a street food. It's a stir-fry dish containing bitter melon. I guess in sort of a more colloquial term, chanpuru means to mix or to hash. So it's sort of the Japanese equivalent to the word remix. So basically what they intended with the title is for it to basically be Samurai Remix, which kind of hits home to the overarching, like we said, sort of hip-hop-infused aesthetics of the show. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't know that was where that came from. Yeah. So regarding the development of the show, I know I said it was done by the Watanabe guy. In an interview who's actually uh, about the development of the show, he was quoted as saying, quote, When I came up with the character of Mugen, I heard hip-hop at the same time, and I thought he was going to be a rapper samurai. And basically, he was saying essentially... When developing the show and developing the characters, he always had hip-hop as a sort of central focus of the show. It wasn't like an afterthought. It was always intended to be an integral part of uh, the show's design and aesthetic. I believe that, because it doesn't feel at all like it was tacked on later or anything. Like It's a core aspect of the concept. Exactly, exactly. And it's not just in the characters that this is really reflected. Everything throughout the show from, you know, when... There's plenty of scenes throughout the show where they'll cut to a different shot or cut to a different part of the plot with, like, record scratches. Oh, yeah! Get him! <laughs> There's beatboxing bandits uh, that basically... I, I, I forget the plot of the episode specifically, but there was the guy who was, like, this, like, almost Elvis-like character... And his posse 
would basically, whenever he would talk, they would, like, beatbox for him yeah. while he's talking. Now, you may want to write this down, because you ain't going to want to forget it. I do what other people can't do. And those who can't do what I do say I'm just not down with it. It's a good. That, I think that is one good example of like stuff that's clearly that like period appropriate, but it is just it makes it more fun and funny for that reason yeah. almost. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, everything from like those beatboxing bandits to um, there. <laughs> there was even like at one point when they were traveling, there was like I think there was like some mysterious monster that people were talking about, and these guys just came up to them and started rapping about like this this mysterious monster and it's just like what yo huh. on the peaks in the snow he's a spooky mofo oh, everything's oh. gonna loony because the mountain's haunted by yoshitsune oh, it's, it's gotta, gotta be, be the ghost, ghost. yoshitsune yeah boy who's that huh. who do they yo, mean he's fat he's fly he's tall as a sky always grabs his rocks when the bitches walk by Yo, he's a nice cold sucker. Killed a thousand mighty. Yeah, the 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 show definitely kind of splices in that sort of uh, hip hop cultural influence in the most random of ways, which I think makes the show like that much more funny. But yeah, it it has it has tons of that sort of hip hop influence throughout the show, which is why we're talking about it on a music podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as I was saying, um, the production team basically wanted the music production for the show to kind of also um evoke sort of a hip-hop feel so he brought on um three guys uh oh, four guys uh tucci fat john new Jabez, and force of nature to basically help sort of create the soundtrack so to speak for samurai champloo so the two biggest influences as far as like the musical production of, of this show were fat john and new Jabez. Uh, Fat John, also known as John Marshall, was an American hip-hop producer and rapper from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he was a member of the hip-hop group 5Ds. I know he had some success, um, both with them and, uh, solo, but he was never, like, mainstream in the rap scene. He was kind of more underground. Hmm. Um, In a way that almost feels more appropriate for this show and i don't know if there were people who watched this who were like oh i'm familiar with all these you know musicians but i i think it helped the more rough around the edges sort of feel for the show that it wasn't pulling like top tier like hip-hop artists exactly no that's a good point um so yeah basically yeah fat john was more underground not super famous but the hip-hop uh that he would produce and write had a very chill aspect to it. It wasn't aggressive. Um, he would often underpin a lot of his rapping with jazz, piano, mm. which I think is why he he was such a good pairing for uh, Nujabez, as they both sort of had, for lack of a better term, it really was kind of the, the birth of what we would come to know as uh chill hop mm. it's that that's the thing i think that is so interesting about these two artists fat john and, and nujibas that fit so well within the show is that yeah it's it's hip-hop music but it's hip-hop music that's beset by really beautiful piano melodies mm. really soft jazz so it, it kind of creates almost like a calming underpinning to um 
a lot of the uh, what's what's happening in the show, I guess, mm-hmm. um, as a sort of underpinning soundtrack. So I know I mentioned Fat John. I found a sample of some music of both Fat John and of Nujibiz, uh that's outside of uh, what they produced for Samurai Champloo. So I thought we'd play a little clip of one of Fat John's songs just so you can kind of see what his style is like. So let's play a little clip of one of his songs called Your Purpose. I like this. This is good. Yeah, yeah. It's super chill. It, it definitely has a, almost like a Japanese influence musically yeah. to it, which is interesting. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, this sounds like something that could have been in, in Samurai Champloo. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when I was listening to it. So, yeah, we talked about Fat John, and the other half of this duo um, that would go on to become very famous is was Nujibes. And he was a Japanese uh, record producer, DJ, composer, and arranger who produced sort of atmospheric instrumental mixes, uh, sampling from hip-hop and jazz. He ended up releasing three studio albums, Metaphorical Music in 2003, Modal Soul in 2005, and Spiritual State uh, released posthumously in 2011. Uh, we'll get to that in a sec. So yeah, basically he did production work on Samurai Champloo basically between his first and second albums. Nujibis would also partner uh, with another rapper named uh, Shing O2, and Shing O2 partnered with him a lot on his album Modal Soul, uh, and he is an, actually a Japanese-American uh, hip-hop artist. But what's interesting about Shing O2 is that he's very much an activist as far as sort of fighting for politically unrepresented uh, minorities and subgroups. Um, he's very active in that scene, and a lot of his rap uh, actually reflects the political stances and political fights he's trying to take on. So yeah, him, him, and Nujibiz would often would often partner up um, for uh, you know Nujibiz would produ- produce. He would write the lyrics, blah blah blah. They obviously were, were good friends. Um, I found a clip of a song off of. Uh, Nujibiz's album, I believe Modal Soul, where he features uh, Shingo 2. The guy's featured a lot within that album, but I, I picked this particular song because I think it's a fairly famous song for Nujibiz. It's called uh, Love Sick Part 3. Let's listen to a little clip and you can kind of see how, you know, their two styles kind of mesh together. Trying to find a reason to work out, willing to admit My thinking is wishful, like a star upon a child Gazing up to the ceiling, how far do we have to stretch the truth To fit the lifestyle, go road and overdue We can take it all back to the register And start all over from the callous stuff Let's break it all down By the way, I was like, oh, I want the album of this You know, I want the vinyl of this Um they did produce so like really rare. <laughs> yeah. They did produce vinyl of this. Um and it's not like oh my god you can't find it, but it's $70. Okay. Yeah, it's not like oh this is so rare, you know, no one can afford it, but it's like this isn't cheap. They I think they did like a limited run of it. I think that's why. Well, I can also think of another reason why it might be more expensive oh, yeah. now. Do you want to tell the listeners why, Kyle? Yeah. So I know I mentioned it earlier um that uh Nujibiz's uh third album 
uh, that was released in 2011 was released posthumously. And obviously the reason for that is Nujibiz uh, unexpectedly passed away in February of 2010. Uh, June, his real name, June Seba, was involved in a traffic accident um, exiting uh, an expressway in Tokyo and sadly was pronounced dead at the hospital in Shibuya after efforts to revive him failed. So basically he got into a fatal car accident. I mean, the guy, I mean, look at his age. Yeah, I'm curious how old he was. Probably not that old. Oh my God, he was only 36. Wow. So yeah, he he died, unfortunately, very young. And um, I know, by the way, Peter, um, in doing research for this episode, I, I sent you a video that kind of talked about his influence within the hip-hop community. Right. Um, I forgot to watch that before the episode. <laughs> the one thing I asked, no. Uh, no, you're fine. But essentially, because he did unfortunately pass away so young, um, despite only really producing three albums, he had a just absolutely massive influence on hip-hop uh, as a whole. Um, tons of other rappers... Uh, would sample him. Tons of other rappers would would uh, call him out in their lyrics, and a lot of people uh, point to him as basically popularizing, you know, what would come to be known as chill hop music. Right. Um, I actually do have one question about, uh, I guess, his partnership with Shing O Two, mm-hmm. um, in relation to the song we just listened to, but also I guess the next one we'll be, we will be listening to mm-hmm. is, so was Shing more of like the, cause we said he was more of like the um, activist. Yeah. Um, so, so was he uh, basically like the lyricist exactly. on, on these songs? And then uh, Nujibiz was more of like the instrumentalist. Exactly. Shing, Shing O2 did the vocals and wrote the lyrics. Nujibiz being the sort of uh, the producer Okay. Uh, he basically would do the sort of musical tracks, and then Shing would basically rap over them. I mean, obviously there was there was a much, their their partnership was a lot more complex than just than the way I'm making it seem. But essentially, yeah, that was their partnership. Shing was the Got vocals, Nujabez was the uh, music. So the reason I wanted to mention his partnership with Shing O2 is uh, actually because that would become very uh, essential in the. Uh, producing of, of many of the different songs for uh, Samurai Champloo. Now that we've kind of talked about, you know, the backgrounds of the music producers of the show, we're actually going to start talking about the music of the show. Only, what, like 40 minutes in or something? <laughs> <laughs> but basically... I think the background is important, though, for sure. Oh, for sure. Basically, like, in discussing the music of Samurai Champloo, you can't talk about it without talking about the opening theme of the show. I mean, that is basically... The music that hooks you into the show, it explains exactly what the show is about, what the feeling is, what the vibe is. Yeah, it really does set the, like, the the tone for the rest, like, the, and the, like, aesthetic of the show as well. Exactly. Um, I know, obviously, because we're a podcast, we don't have the visuals to kind of accompany this, but I encourage all of you to go look up the opening intro animation, I guess, scene of Samurai Champloo. It's just... It's a cool animated sequence too. Like even just aside from music. Yeah, I was gonna say artistically, it's just like it. It sums up the the frenetic nature of the show so well. Yeah. There's a quote I found from the producer from Shinichiro Watanabe uh, discussing his working with Nujibes, and he said in an interview, "quote 
Uh, the producer, Nujabez, was the first name that came to mind when I thought of creating music for Samurai Champloo, so I think we were able to perform a great spectacular collaboration together. So essentially, even the producer of the show always had Nujabez in mind as the sort of musical influence of the show, which I thought was pretty cool. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, go find some guy. Right. The producer was intimately familiar with Nujabez with his style of music, and basically that influenced him in the creation of the show, which I thought was pretty cool. It's like you kind of you can't have one without the other. Yeah, and I think that helps with just the way it does all feel really cohesive. Like you said, like that was part of the actual development of the idea rather than something that he was like, oh, shoot, I got to find music now. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what makes the show musically so cohesive is exactly that. It's like it was, it was all developed simultaneously. It, nothing was an afterthought. Everything was developed together with with a singular sort of aesthetic in mind yeah so yeah let's um you know this this um opening theme the reason we mentioned shingo too is because he's actually the vocals um for this opening theme the soundtrack is called battle cry let's play a little clip of the opening theme um of battle cry by nujibis featuring shingo too so you guys can kind of get a feel for like you know how i guess awesome this show opening is this is a uh, one show where I pretty much always will watch the intro. Yeah, I was I was just about to mention that there, you know, when you're especially when you're binging shows, oftentimes you'll skip the intro you'll skip the end credits you know after so many times uh because you just want to get to the next episode this is one of those shows where i'm just like nope i'm letting everything play the next song i wanted to talk about was a song that and again we're probably gonna hit some spoilers so sorry um a song that appeared in episode six of the show called strangers searching um i don't know if you remember peter um it was when gene mugen and Fu entered an eating contest <laughs> Wow, that was only episode six. I know, right? It feels, man, it's it's funny because it's all compressed. Yeah. Like you said, it's not that long of a show, so it feels like that's farther along in the show than it really is. Yeah, the pacing of the show is so perfect that it both feels very long and very short at the same time. That's that's a good point. Yeah. They all end up getting knocked out uh, of the eating contest. I think Fu like, lasts the longest and she gets really fat. Oh, yeah. They end up losing out to a man named Joji Titsinghe who we'll later, we later find out in the show is actually called Isaac, um, who is a European man who's, uh, uh, what's the word, who's disguising himself as a Japanese person. He was, uh, he was from Holland, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, and I don't, know if, I don't know if you know this, Peter, they kind of talked about it in the show a little bit. During the Edo era of Japan, Japan was very isolated to the point that they basically didn't allow foreign trade. They didn't allow Japanese citizens to... Oh, is this when they were like shutting down to Western influence and all that? Yeah, they basically became very isolationist as a country um, and shut down trade to even neighbor. I think even neighbors like China. Um, they didn't allow Japanese citizens to leave the country. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't exactly remember, they only allowed trade with the Dutch, but they only allowed that Dutch trade on like the southern p- part of Japan, I think around where Nagasaki is. 
So I, I think that's where it came in that like, oh, this guy is Dutch. He came to Japan. He was allowed in. But sort, sort of yes and no, because basically in the episode, he, since he's masquerading as a Japanese person, he has to because basically if they find out that he's Dutch, they'll kick him out of the country. Hmm. At the end of the episode, um, a song, another song by Nujabas plays when um, the Dutch character is talking to Fu about, you know, where her supposed samurai that smells of sunflowers might have wow. hailed from. And they play this really cool song called Aurorian Dance uh, that's produced by Nujabas and Fat John. Again, there's a lot of songs that Nujabas produces in this show, so I'm just highlighting a handful that I liked. Right. Some uh, highlights. Exactly. But I don't know. I thought the song was really cool. Uh, it fit the scene very well. So let's play a little clip of Aurorian Dance by Nujabas and Fat John. nice it's so chill when we mentioned like the episodes it's pro- or the like the name of the songs like i'm not going to recognize them until i hear it and then i'm like oh yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah yeah because exactly the, the, you know it's soundtracks you're not going to be like oh i know that song right um good stuff though oh for sure uh this next song you'll 100 percent recognize once you hear it um it's super distinct mm-hmm. even within the show and it sounds very very different from pretty much every, all of the other music um, it's a song that was featured in episode 14, um, Misguided Miscreants Part 2. It takes place during a dream sequence where Mugen has just basically been blown up, um, off of a ship, I think, and is basically semi-unconscious. Oh, is this where, like, he's, like, on the verge of, like, yeah. being taken by death, but then he's like, nah, I'm not all for that yet. He's like, nah, I ain't ready. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I thought the animation. Cool yeah, I thought the animation of this sequence was some of the best animation in the entire show. I was just like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I actually I distinctly remember that, and it was, it was pretty sweet. So, in doing research on this, I found out something really interesting, Peter, that I didn't know, and this actually kind of contextualizes the show in a mm. completely new way for me. So, in the show, we found out that Mugen is basically a pirate who hailed from these islands off the southern part of Japan called the Ryukyu Islands. Well, come to find out, the Ryukyu Islands, it was actually called the Ryukyu Kingdom, which lasted from the 1400s to the 1800s, and despite technically being part of Japan, had its completely distinct culture and language that was sort of related to, but completely independent from mainland Japan. Which kind of contextualizes Mugen's entire persona. I always thought he was just like, oh, he's just some weird guy. But So more so than being a rebel, he was it's like yeah. a diff- it's like a culture clash basically. It's like yeah, it's like his culture, the way he dresses, the way he acts is Yeah. And that's why so many people kind of regard him as like, hey, you're kind of weird. Interesting. Is the fact that he's from these Ryuku Islands, which were kind of their own separate culture from Japanese culture. Which I thought yeah. was really cool. I didn't know that at all. In the show, they kind of go into his backstory a little bit and like why he is the way he is, but I didn't know about this whole separate aspect of that actually being like a separate but similar culture, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Me neither. I thought that was pretty interesting. 
Basically, they remained semi-independent from the 1400s to the 1800s, but then over time, gradually assimilated more and more into Japanese society to the point that their their own distinct culture, basically, at this point, has been all but erased, which is kind of sad. Uh, the reason I mention that is that the song that we're going to play is actually being sung in a Ryuku dialect, which is part of why it sounds so odd and even distinct from, like, sort of Japanese folk music. The song is called Obukuri Yumi by Yuki Asazaki. The song is, like, a super, super haunting sort of theme um, and sung very... It's very melancholy. I mean, it's supposed to be. It's a song playing while Mugen is basically on the verge of death. Um, but this song always stuck out to me uh, all the times that I've watched the show, so I wanted to highlight it. Um, let's play a little clip. Yeah, stylistically, definitely different from the other music in this show. But I like, like you said, like contextually, there is a reason for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that it was like a separate language entirely, or dialect. You know? That's yeah, cool. yeah, me neither. Um, so yeah, fun, fun historical fact there. And that's one thing I will say about this show. Like I know we kind of mentioned it earlier, but I, I feel like the creators, uh, or the writers, or the designers of the show, really did their research. Oh yeah. Enter like this historical period and in order to create this alternate history version of it, if you yeah. will. It's like they almost I, had to become experts in it in order to remix it. Yeah, and I, I always thought it was fun how uh ra- randomly throughout the show they would sort of interject into, you know, the a plot point of the episode to kind of explain the historical context of it. And it's funny because yeah. like sometimes you're like not 100% sure if it's true or they're bullshitting me, but I don't really know. <laughs> I know. I, I feel the same way. And I think probably for the most part, that stuff is accurate. But I don't know. The show always has like kind of like a tongue-in-cheek attitude, so it's hard to tell. So yeah, I, I just wanted to highlight the song because I thought it was super dope. Uh, and it's very distinct from a lot of the other music throughout the show. Another song that I wanted to highlight was actually an end credit song that Usually they play the same end credit song throughout the show, which we'll, we'll actually get to in a second. But I think like in one or two episodes, they play a different song at the end that more kind of summarizes the whatever was happening in the episode, I guess. And in episode 17, which is called Lullabies of the Lost, they, they played a different uh, end credit song. I don't know if you remember, Peter, this was the episode where it was, I think it was a two-part episode where Fu gets split up from Mugen and Jean in the forest Fu comes across a man named Okuru. In doing research for this song, it says that it's it's the song title is You featuring Kazami. I, for whatever reason, could not find anything on a person named Kazami. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't have much more to say about the song other than I just wanted to play it because it sounds cool.
Sounds like like 90s R&B or something. Exactly. It's super, super like 90s R&B sounding, a lot more so than some of the other music, and I just really dug the song. Interesting. So I kind of wanted to be like, you know, hey, this show has more than just hip-hop influence. It has R&B, it has jazz. But yeah, you're right. That's that's a really good point, Peter. It's like super like 90s R&B. It's like Japanese TLC or something. Yeah, no kidding. So finally, um, because I know I mentioned it before, we talked about the opening scene, uh, opening song. Now we're finally at the uh, end credits song of the show, which this song plays throughout most of the end credits in the episodes. Right. So the one we just listened to was like in a couple cases, I think, right? Or at least one where it was yeah. the ending song because it wasn't normally. Yeah, exactly. The one we just talked about, yeah, was a distinct uh, end credit song. This song is the one that plays through most of the episodes. The song is called uh, Shiki no Uta. And it's produced by Nujabes, and it's featuring a singer named Minmi, M-I-N-M-I. Minmi, who does the vocals on the track, is a Japanese hip-hop and reggae musician Hmm. from Osaka, Japan. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, she's like apparently big in the reggae scene, and there actually is a fairly prominent... Japanese reggae music scene. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a I, thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I never would have guessed that was a thing. Yeah, that might be a future episode thing if there's enough about it. It's just like Japanese musical subgenre scenes, you know. Japan, I find so super interesting because it's one of the most homogenous countries in the world in the fact that like 96%, I think, of its citizens are Japanese. There's not a lot of immigrants. Hmm. And yet, culturally, it's just like this sponge of a country that just absorbs culture from so many different places. There, there's literally, I forgot where I was, I saw this, there's literally a L.A. Hispanic cultural influence in Japan where it's Japanese people that dress like huh. basically Hispanic <laughs> streetwear, we'll say. Huh. And they literally have lowriders with like the hydraulics and shit. I'm just like, what? <laughs> it's almost, this is almost like a reversal of the whole period they had where they were like, we don't want influence from the Western yeah, world. Yeah, it's like they were else. so starved. They were so starved for cultural influence. They just were like, we want all of it. Yeah. And I wonder if there is some truth to that, too. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, after a country is starved of like anything outside its own culture for 400 years, it kind of has a taste for anything that's not Japanese, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, um, this the singer on this track, uh, Mean Me, uh, hip-hop and reggae uh, singer. And this is the closing theme for the show. Uh, I don't, not much more to say about it other than it sounds really cool, and I definitely let the end credits roll whenever I watch this show as well. Mm-hmm. I actually spent part of the day trying to teach myself this on the ukulele, and it's hard. <laughs> Interesting. There, There's kind of a, a trope in anime where the opening theme of anime is super aggressive, super intense, super powerful, and then the end credits is like super soft and relaxing to kind of, hmm. kind of ease you out of the show <laughs> to the point that it's literally like almost a joke. Like, every anime does it. And this, this is no different. I suppose that's a good context for why that is the way it is then yeah yeah 
Um, so that was that was the last song that you included, but then I yes. realized, hey, actually, I want to play the last song that they play at the end of the series in the last episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the final episode, they do play a different song at the end, you're right. And it's a fun song. Um, apparently, it's a song called San Francisco um, by Midi Chronica, I guess. I didn't do any research into this. I kind of just looked up what the song was called. Um, <laughs> it's okay i didn't do that much because i kind of did it on the fly but um i wanted to I, I felt like if we're gonna talk about the music of this show i think it was worth mentioning oh for sure so we won't spoil the very end of the show i guess for all the other stuff we've talked about which we really haven't really spoiled much not of anything too in terms much of important no not points. as much as i thought we would the the final scene blending into the credits i guess is this song so it's it's a fun one so i figure we can play a clip of this i guess Yeah, this is super dope. Uh, okay, here we go. So the group, um, the group Midi Chronica is a Japanese rap group uh, that consists. Oh, okay. The members are just numbers. They're literally four members known as eight nine four one eight one seven one six five six three. That's interesting. The band has collaborated with other artists uh, such as Shinsky. Uh, other artists I don't know. Okay, so yeah, they're they're just a they're a Japanese band. Uh, hmm. It says, the group song San Francisco was from their album 501, was used as the ending theme of the last episode of Samurai Champloo. Nice. So. Well, there you go. Nice. Some actual facts, rather than me just looking up the link. The only other fact was like, oh yeah, they're a Japanese band. Yeah. <laughs> Although their names are numbers, apparently. That's a super dope song, though. And yeah, you're right, that's the, the literally the end credits of the show. Uh, it's on the 26th episode. Um, but yeah... This show is amazing. It's super short. It's succinct. It's probably, like I said, in my top three favorite anime shows. No, yeah, it's a great show for sure. And um, while I realize that its own style is fairly unique within the anime genre, I, I feel like it still encourages me to go find other ones that I like to for different reasons, I guess. I've never actually watched the show in its original Japanese. I've only listened to the dub version. Uh, which I know for some anime fans is like a no-no. Um, yeah, actually, I, I have some thoughts on that, too. Oh, not some thoughts. I just have one thought on it, really. Um, that I know that that is at least somewhat a point of contention between people. Of like, do you listen to the original Japanese audio with English subtitles, subtitles. or do you listen yeah. to the English dub of it? I'm a dub guy, personally, just because I don't want to be distracted by subtitles. Yeah, I'm 100% the same. I know it's kind of bad and but i've just you kind of sacrifice never, a little bit of the original whatever but like yeah i'm okay with that in order to pay more attention to the show itself exactly i've never been able to watch a show in japanese where you're having to focus simultaneously on the animation and read subtitles yeah it's just never it's never worked for me and usually the shows that i like end up being shows that people are like okay yeah these shows have good dubs um right and this show is definitely one of them, as far as like the Amer- the American voice actors that they that they chose. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good show. It's subbed or dubbed. Um, it's on Hulu if you want to watch it there. It's also on Funimation, which is a apparently an it's an anime specific uh, sort of 
subscription service site. I, I would encourage the listeners to look up more of the music from the show, too, that we didn't have time to get to. Yeah, honestly, just research uh, Nujabes. It's N-U-J-A-B-E-S uh, and Fat John, and that'll just take you into a whole world of chill-out music that hopefully you'll enjoy. Yeah, I want to go look up their uh, albums after this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they're all on Spotify, um, so you can check them all out there. Um, what else can they check out there, listeners? I mean, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, listeners, please. We don't know. Yeah, they can also check out our podcast, um, Funk Radio. We are on Spotify. All of our new episodes are uploaded there. You can follow us and listen. Um, we are also on Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Music, and if you don't like any of those places because they um, steal your private data and sell them to advertisers, which is probably true, um, you can go to our website, which doesn't do that, at getyourfunk.com. And if you want to talk to us at a place that definitely steals your data and sells it to <laughs> advertisers and also ruins democracy, you can talk to us on facebook.com slash getyourfunk. I don't know if this is going to lead into us talking about other, like, anime music or something and we're just going to turn into some weeboo <laughs> show weeboo radio yeah weeboo radio tell us on facebook.com if you think i own a a, a, a waifu pillow <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i think i think this is a good place to end um yeah so this has been your weeboo host peter and this has been your otaku host kyle and you have been the listeners if you want us to call you something more special, tell us on Facebook. In the meantime, go to getyourfunk.com, listen to more stuff, or just cease to be listeners until next time. <laughs>